0: Welcome to this week's message from Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger at First Baptist Church, Gulf Breeze, located in the heart of Gulf Breeze, Florida. Good morning, everybody. So, we're continuing the holiness study today. Um, We've been... Doing this for about the past month or so now. And kind of the foundational verse for all of this has been Leviticus nineteen two: To be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. That's kind of been the, the foundation, the underpin of this whole thing for the past several weeks. Now the first week, as we started this holiness study, we looked at the holiness of God the Father, God himself. Kind of a doctrinal study about the holiness of God. Then the next week, we kind of followed up on that a little bit more. Talked about the holiness of God a little bit more. But then we talked about how, what that meant to us and then how that played out in our own lives. How does the holiness of God affect us, God the Father? Then last week, Brent talked about the holiness of the Holy Spirit and how we are sealed until the day of redemption. How the Holy Spirit seals us with the holiness of God. Now today, we're going to talk about the holiness of Jesus Christ. So it's kind of the, the rest of the Trinity today, the holiness of Jesus Christ himself. Now here it is, here's how it is for many Christians. You become a believer in Jesus Christ, and you start your journey, and you give your life to Jesus, and initially there's this strong desire to not do bad stuff and to do the right stuff. And so initially when we start out this Christian walk, it is... Um, the right urge, the right desire to do these things. And so we try to put the sinful old habits aside and we put all these new habits in place. I'm going to read my Bible, I'm going to go to church, I'm going to be around other believers, and we do all these kind of things. And so it's very much a self-disciplined start to our Christian walk. But here's what happens oftentimes um, in this is those, the new believer Christian suddenly at some point realizes that I can't do this. I cannot do the Christian life the way that it's supposed to be done. Because we start seeing our old sinful habits coming back in, and we get frustrated. We read verses that say stuff like, I'm a new creation in Jesus Christ. Or we read these scriptures that say, I'm no longer a slave to fear, I'm no longer a slave to sin, but now I'm a slave to righteousness. And we look at ourselves and go, I don't like this because I'm still living in these old sinful habits. So, Over time, this Christian, we start developing this new doctrine, which is actually right. It's appropriate. We realize that we can't do this ourselves, so we have to depend upon the Holy Spirit of God inside of us to live the Christian life. We have to let God live his life through us. The only person that can live the Christian life is Jesus Christ himself. So we allow God to live and flow through us to live the Christian life. That's all right. That's all true. That's a good place to get as a believer. We get to that frustration stage and go, God, I I can't do this. I've tried to do all the discipline stuff, and it's just not working. So, God, I need you to live your life through me. That's a good thing to be. That's a good place to be. We start developing phrases like letting go and letting God. And that is a great place to be. But here's the thing. I think if we're honest with each other today... Even after we do this, even after we get to this place where we say, God, I want you to live your life through me. God, I can't do this. God, empower me. God, I need your Holy Spirit. I think if we're honest, even when we say, God, just fling your Spirit upon me and help me not sin. (laughs) I don't want to sin again, so God, you make me not sin. Even when we do this kind of stuff, we find old sinful habits still there. Anybody else been there before? And it's very frustrating. Today... We're going to talk about the holiness of Jesus Christ, but not just from a doctrinal position. Because the doctrinal position is true, that we take on the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That He gives us His righteousness, that when God the Father looks at us, He doesn't see our sinfulness. He sees His Son, who's pure and holy, and we're forgiven in every single way. The Bible's clear that our sins are separated as far as the east is from the west. And so they, we, he doesn't see our sinfulness. We are forgiven. We are justified, is the biblical word, in front, in, in front of God himself. So we are forgiven. We are redeemed. That is all true. But we're not just looking at the holiness of Jesus today from a doctrinal position, but we're also going to look at it from a very practical position. We're going to look at it, um, what it means to us in our day-to-day lives. My key point today, and if you are writing stuff down, this would be the sentence to write down, and we'll probably say this a bunch today. But the key point, the key thing I'm going to go back to a bunch today is we can only live the holy life we were commanded to live when we have a proper view of the holiness of Jesus Christ. We can only live the holy life we were commanded to live when we have a proper view of the holiness of Jesus Christ. Turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 5 with me. Luke chapter 5. I don't hear any pages turning because everybody's got, like, devices in here. In the first service, everybody was in paper, and it was, I don't get to hear this here. <clears throat> there they are. Okay, y'all are just slower than, y'all are slower than the first service. Luke chapter 5. By the way, can y'all see your Bibles out here? Is it? Yeah. <laughs> Reading in Braille, okay. Luke chapter 5, we gonna start in verse 4 what it says. We had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners on the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. So here's the story. Jesus is out on the boat. He's a little bit off of shore. He had to do this. There was a crowd on the shore. He had to get off the shore just a little bit to speak to the crowd. So he's out on the boat. These guys have been fishing, the Bible says, all night. So it's the next morning, and they're washing their nets, which basically means they're done. They haven't caught anything. Now I want to remind you here, these are professional fishermen that have been fishing all night. They know what they're doing And they haven't caught a thing. So Jesus says, all right, put your nets back in the water and go out into the deep water. Now, i got to imagine that Peter, being a professional, he says, okay, Master, because you say so, I'm going to do it. But i got to imagine that there's a little bit inside of Peter that's going, okay, all right, the carpenter's son is telling me to put my nets out, but I'm a professional fisherman, but just because you're saying it, I'm going to do it. I almost wonder if Peter's a little bit like, okay, I'm going to do this, but just kind of to prove to everybody that there are no fish out here because, you know, I'm a professional and I know that there are no fish because I've been fishing all night and I haven't caught anything. So this is not the point of my sermon today, but I wonder how many times that we outsmart God (laughs) in our own professional opinion and we do things that we think we know so much about. Uh, Peter was a professional at this. And Jesus says, just put out a little bit in the deeper water. This isn't my sermon today, but that'll preach right there. Put out a little bit in the deeper And so you heard the story there. We just read it, that he does that. And so not just one fish, not just two fish, but it's so many fish that the nets start start breaking. They have to call the other boat. Hey, guys, come over here. I mean, that's crazy. Like another boat, because there's so many fish that they can't put them all in one boat. Another little sidetrack here, not the point of my sermon today, but another little sidetrack is I wonder how many times God has blessings for us that are just swimming all around us that we don't get because we're not... Listening to what God is saying. I mean, just think about that. The fish were there all night long. Unless they just weren't there and then Jesus commanded them to come there. Either way, whatever. The blessing was there. All they had to do was listen and obey and put the nets out. And then not just a few fish, but like an overabundance of fish. Not the point of my sermon today, but can I just tell you that that there's possible that there's blessings upon blessings upon blessings, two boat full of blessings for you that you won't get unless you listen? That's awesome. Not the sermon today, but that's awesome. So here's what happened. They fill up the boats. There's boats and boats full. All these fish. This is something that's incredible that's happening. Let me tell you exactly what I would do if I'm in this point, if I'm Peter at this point. Here's what I would do. All right, Jesus. Um... I don't know how you just did that. That's pretty cool. Um, Here's what we're going to do. What do you say Peter and Jesus Fishing Company starts today? And uh, Peter, matter of fact, we can make it Jesus and Peter. That's fine. Jesus and Peter Incorporated. And you just kind of tell me where to fish. I'll fish. We'll split the profits 50-50. Matter of fact, 60-40. I'll give you 60. I mean, I'm good with that. Sometimes we bargain with God like that ourselves, by the way. That's what I probably would have done. That's the way we think, right? It's not what Peter did. So you're going, this is a message on holiness. I don't get it. Where's the holiness of Jesus Christ? Look at verse 8 with me. Look at verse 8. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. (laughs) That is not the answer that I was expecting. I mean, just think about it. Here's what we would do. Blessings, blessings, blessings. Whoa, my goodness, high fives all around. This is incredible. No, not Peter. Get away. Get away from me, Jesus. Here's what I believe happened in this very moment. I believe, Je- I believe Peter got a glimpse of Jesus Christ and all of his holiness. I believe Peter looked at Jesus and said, This, this guy talks like me, this guy looks like me, but this guy... He's not like me. Something's different about this man. He got a glimpse of, of the holiness of Jesus Christ. And when he got this glimpse of the holiness of Jesus, what it did to him is it shook him at his core. I don't want to lighten this for you this morning. I don't want to make this you know sanitized. I think it scared him to death. Peter was scared because he said, Get away from me. Get away from me. Now this is not the picture that we often paint of Jesus Today in the church, not just our church, but just in general, in society. This is not the picture we typically paint of Jesus Christ. Tell me, we got that picture there? That's the picture we paint of Jesus Christ right there so often today. Jesus is my homeboy. (laughs) I don't know why I just did that because I looked really very vanilla doing that. You know what I mean? (laughs) Jesus is my buddy. Me and Jesus were tight. Jesus, we, we, me and Jesus, and we got this thing going on. We got this relationship, you know. We, we, he understands me. I understand him. That's the view of Jesus that we so often have today in the church. Jesus is my best friend. How often do you hear a message that says, Hey, uh, Jesus scared me. <laughs> or, you should be afraid of Jesus. How often do we hear messages about fearing Jesus Christ? We can only live the holy life we were commanded to live when we have a proper view of the holiness of Jesus Christ. Could it be that we struggle with the Christian life because our perspective of Jesus was never correct at the start? Could it be that we struggle living out the holiness that we're supposed to live because we never had the right view in the first place? Now I can feel you squirming out there. A little bit, right? Because honestly, I squirmed when I prepared this. I was like, this, this is... This ain't going to be fun to prepare and just to say. Because I know some of you are squirming because you're going, wait a second, the Bible is full of uh, passages to say that Jesus is in our corner and Jesus is my friend and to cast all my cares upon him and, and Jesus is there for me. And you know what? You're absolutely right. Those are truths from the Word of God. Absolute truth. I'm not going to go rogue here and tell you that those things aren't true. Absolutely not. fact, We're going to talk about some of that here in a little bit. That's a good one. Dun, 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 dun. What song is that? Give me answer. It that'd be fun. Give me, give me answer. It, yeah, it. Seriously, give me answer. It Have you... <laughs> That's awesome. That's good. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> fun times. I couldn't go on with that one. That was that was a loud one. So I don't want you to uh, think that I'm going rogue today. We, this is all truth, and we're going to get there. But here's the thing. In talking about Jesus and Jesus being on our side, I'm, not, I'm talking about a starting point here. Could it be that we have messed up our starting point in the first place, that we're not seeing the holiness of Jesus, and then therefore it's affected everything after that in our walks with Christ? I want you to think about some of the most popular verses. The verses that we typically memorize first when we become a believer in Jesus. John 3.16. Even unbelievers typically know that one. John 3.16. Y'all say it with me. For God so loved the world, He gave His only Son, that whosoever believes in Him will not perish, but have everlasting life. That is a truth from God's Word. That is incredible truth. That's really good news truth for us. I mean, I don't go to hell. I get to have everlasting life because God loved me. That's incredible truth. That's one of the first ones we memorize. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. By the way, the next verse after that one says it's good for you to share in my suffering. But I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. All things work together for those who love God and are called according to His purpose. If God is for us, who can be against us? I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to, to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope. Plans to give you a future. I have come so that you may have life and you may have it more abundantly. These are the scriptures that we typically like to memorize and we like to know why. Because they make us feel good. We like the feel-good stuff. These are scriptures. They're obviously truth. I'm not going to deny that. They're absolutely there in the Word of God. But how often do we memorize verses that, 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 that talk about fear? Or talk about conviction. Or talk about our standing in front of God. Because they're truth just as much as these are truth. And we should memorize these verses. But maybe we should balance them out with, with a healthy dose of the holiness of God verses. Peter said, get away from me. Why do you think about Christian literature today? It's a, it's a growing thing. I mean, Christian literature's always been around, but it's, it's become big business nowadays. Go into a bookstore if there still are still, or I guess there's a few still around here, an actual physical bookstore. There'll be a big thing on the wall that says religion, and then underneath that it'll be broken up, and Christianity will probably be the biggest section in the religion section. Then you go into the Christianity section, here's what's happening. They break it up into even further book or compartments or whatever. Here's the biggest, largest section. By the way, it's the same on Amazon. If you go to their little menu and pull down, the largest section of Christian literature nowadays is going to be stuff on self-help, or stuff that will make you feel better. It will be called inspirational. It may be called Christian living. Inspirational. There's even fiction. They're not bad. I read this stuff myself. But that's the mass abundance of Christian literature today. If you go back in history and read other Christian literature that's from days gone by... It's going to be harder to read stuff that's going to convict you and hurt you. Now, that stuff, there's still some of that today, but not nearly as much because that's not what sells. That's what we deal with today with Christian literature. You see, we've kind of made Jesus to be sanitized, we've made him to be a feel good, my homeboy Jesus. That's the Jesus we like. There's a casual approach. To Jesus today. The Old Testament, there are several passages that, that, that talk about guarding our steps as we enter the house of God. And as we come before Him, to let our words be few. And to come with a sense of awe and wonder and reverence in front of God. But here's oftentimes how we approach God we pick up our latte in the lobby. And we come in, and we prop our feet up, and we'd sip on our latte and put our little pinky up, because I don't know why they do that, and it's tea time in England. But we're like, all right, I'm, I'm here, and I'm sipping my latte, and I'm comfortable in my nice, comfortable chair. And um, All right, preacher boy, what you got? Make me feel good this week. Help me feel good this week. That's our approach, this casual, casual approach. It's almost like we've created a chicken soup for the soul, God. Y'all remember those books? What a moneymaker that was. It's like chicken soup for the soul, and then suddenly there's like chicken soup for the farmer's soul and chicken soup for the, you know, gardener's soul. What was it? Pet soul. For the pets? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Okay, see, there you go. Now we've heard everything. So, but it's almost like that's what we've created. We've created this chicken soup for the soul, God. Even, even going back a little bit, I mean, growing up, um, some of y'all can remember these, like, remember the guidepost and the My Daily Breads? Typically, they were uplifting little devotionals we could read in the morning. And I'm not, I grew up with that stuff. That's not bad, okay? But maybe we've neglected the holiness of Jesus and all of our approach to this, and we've made this, like, um, sanitized version of Jesus and as we're talking to somebody who's not a believer, it, is, it surely is. If we're, if we're doing it straight from marketing, from selling, it's, it's a lot easier to say to them, you know, come to Jesus. Um, you can put all your cares on Him, and, and you don't have to worry about anything. And you just come to Jesus, you give it all to Him. It's truth, by the way. Just let it all go and give it to Him. What's harder to say is to somebody that's an unbeliever and go, you know what, when you see Jesus for the first time, you're going to be scared. That's not good salesmanship, <laughs> but that's what happened to Peter we've created this very casual approach to Jesus Christ we've also kind of created this um, this idea of i'm not doing all that bad, you know i mean it's it's moral relativity we've kind of compared ourselves to the lost world so I think we would all agree upon this, that we look outside, we watch the news, we look outside the doors, we look in in our society today, it's bad. There's a lot of wicked, bad stuff going on out there. And here's what a lot of times we do in the church. We point our fingers out there and go, this world is going to hell in a handbasket. It's really, really bad out there. And that's true. But here's what happens. As we look and and point and go, by by the way, they're behaving like they're created to behave. They're created to behave. To be bad. I mean, that's the way we are until we give our lives to Jesus Christ. Sinners act like sinners. Lost people act like lost people. That's what they do. But what happens in the church is we look at all of that, and so we have this moral relativity, and we look at that and go, they're so bad, I'm glad we're not that bad. That's the wrong measuring stick. Because when we look at that, we actually are. We're doing better than they are. We're doing pretty good. We're going to church. We're reading our Bible a little bit. We're, we're worshiping. We're singing some praise songs. We're praying together. You know, we're doing meals together. I mean, I don't cuss. Wow, you know, I'm doing good, you know. We're good. But that's not the measuring stick. The measuring stick is the holiness of Jesus Christ himself. Peter looks at Jesus and says, get away from me. Get away from me. Don't go home. No, I'm just kidding. That's not it. <laughs> Mark chapter 4. Let's look at another passage. Mark chapter 4. Starting in verse 35. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, Let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat, so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, he rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. I've preached this passage of Scripture many times in the past, and typically the sermon goes something like this. Um, Even as believers in Jesus Christ, even when Jesus is on the boat with us and He's in our lives with us, even when that happens, storms come up in life. That's true, right? We know as Christians that Jesus said, in this life you're going to have trouble. So even with Jesus in the boat with us, storms come up. So I've preached that sermon before. And then we talk about how, but even when the storms come up, with one word, Jesus can get up and say, Peace, be still, and everything is gone just like that. The storms are gone, and Jesus has the power to do that. And that's the way I've preached this sermon in the past. And that's the truth. That preaches. That's good stuff. That's in the Bible. But that's not what we're focusing on today. What do you think I'm focusing on today? There's one word in this passage I just read that I'm focusing on today. What do you think it is? Terrified. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. You know your name's like Terra, terrified. That's good. That's good. Terrified. They were terrified. So here's the same thing. Here's what happens. It says a furious squall. That just sounds bad. I mean, furious squall. That, that sounds bad by itself. That I never really thought about it. those two words together. Not just a big storm. A furious squall came up. Okay. Furious squall. It's bad. These guys are scared to death. They wake Jesus up, don't you care about us? And Jesus says, peace, be still. And everything's just quiet and all the storm goes away. Once again, I'd be high-fiving everybody around me and going, did you see what just happened here? (laughs) He said, stop, and it stopped. That's awesome. That's the way I thought I would be. But that's not what they did. They were terrified. The King James says that they feared exceedingly it's a lot of fear. It's more than fear. It's exceedingly fear. <laughs> it's a lot of fear. If I ever write it, my translation of this passage would be they were scared out of their ever-living minds. They were scared to death. Because once again, I think that they looked at Jesus and said, okay, this guy talks like us. This guy looks like us, but this guy's not like us. There's something very, very different going on here. That We can only live the holy life that we were commanded to live when we have a proper view of the holiness of Jesus Christ. I'm not going to leave it here today. This has all kind of been a setup, because so far, really what I've told you today is, be afraid of Jesus. <laughs> you know what? I want you to hear that. And I want you to feel the weight of that message today, because the holiness of God is a serious thing. God's serious about holiness. From the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible, it has been about holiness. A few weeks ago, I preached over in First Baptist, and I told them, I believe the most important pursuit that we have in this life is the pursuit of holiness. And I absolutely believe that. The most important pursuit that you can have in this lifetime is to pursue holiness. Pursue holiness. Paul said, I fought the good fight. I believe Paul was talking about the fight for holiness. Pursue holiness. God's serious about it. We know that the throne room of God, we have two visions of that. We see in Isaiah 6 and we see in the book of Revelation. John got to see it, Isaiah got to see it. Same thing happened in both of those occurrences. We see that they get this peek into the throne room of God and the the angels are surrounding, the cherubim are surrounding this throne of God and they're singing, Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and who is and is to come. We know that that's the word, Holy, is the word that God chose to be sang to Him for eternity of time, backwards, today, and forever. never stops. That's the one attribute of God that He says, that's the one I want. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. God's serious about holiness. You say, well, Kevin, God's serious about love. Yeah, He's serious about love. He's serious about grace. He's serious about mercy. He's serious about wrath. But it's all filtered through His holiness. He loves you with a holy love. He's wrathful with a holy wrath. He's merciful with His holy mercy. Holiness is different than all the other attributes. It is the essence of who God is. He's separate from everything. He's holy. He's perfect in every single way. So, here we are. Peter's terrified. The disciples are terrified. Jesus Christ is the one person in the history of mankind that has been two things completely at one time. He was fully God. For our purposes today, he was fully holy. And he was fully human. He was holy and He was human. And He was 100% of both of those things at the same time. Jesus Christ is truly the mediator between God and man. He bridges the gap because He's the only one that has been us and been Him. Does that make sense? He was God. He was us. He's both. He's the only one that does that. So He bridges that gap between both of us. Both are completely true. But here's the thing. I think that maybe over the years, we have emphasized the humanity of Jesus and maybe neglected The holiness of Jesus. Because they're both true. They're both 100%, which makes Jesus a 200% guy, right? (laughs) It's impossible, but he's God, so he can do it. We've talked about the humanity because we like the humanity part of God. Because he empathizes with us. We know that he suffered. We know that he hurt. Jesus wept. Jesus felt emotions. And that's the God that we can relate to because he's one of us. that's true. I'm not going to say that's not true to you today. But maybe, just maybe, we haven't looked at the holiness of Jesus because He's 100% that as well. I mean, just think about it. Think about the sermons. Just go in your mind's eye. The sermons you've heard over the years. The books that you've read over the years. All the stuff we've, we've heard over the years. And I'm guilty of saying, come to Jesus. He'll help you. All this stuff. And that's true. But how often do you hear, you should be scared? (laughs) What? The holiness of Jesus, the holiness of God, it's very, very, very real. Before Jesus came, this path to holiness, because once again, God is serious about this. The path to holiness that God set up was through the law. And so basically, you keep the law, every single bit of it, and you are a holy person. And that's impossible. So what they started doing was they tried to make themselves help themselves. So like you have Ten Commandments and then they they keep making new laws to try to help themselves live these holy lives. And 670-ish laws ended up being instituted. And They set up all these different laws to try to, to, okay, if we'll just do this, then we can be holy. And if I can just do this. And by the way, we still kind of do this today. We like the system, we, like the, we want to do it, we want to live holy, we want to do holiness. But as we've talked about for several weeks now, we can't do holy, we can only be holy. So they keep trying, they keep trying, they keep trying, and they can't do it. So the way that they overcame not being able to live up to it completely was the sacrificial system. They started offering these offerings to God, these, these sin offerings, these guilt offerings, these offerings of forgiveness... And so these were done continually, but then once a year, on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, the High Priest has to go into the Holy of Holies. The Holy of Holies was set apart. Only the High Priest could go in there. The Holy of Holies is where the mercy seat of God was, and and on the mercy seat, there was the Ark of the Covenant. And you've probably heard that word before, but the Ark of the Covenant was basically a casing for the Ten Commandments, and they were placed in there. So the, the most holy thing that there was, the Ten Commandments, was placed inside of this Ark of the Covenant, And then it was placed inside this holy of holies, and it was barricaded off. And only the high priest could go in there, and only once a year. Because holiness, God's really serious about this thing. So when the high priest goes in there, tradition, history tells us that they would tie a rope around his waist. And basically that's because it's dangerous as he's approaching the throne room of God. And if he happens to die when he's in there, nobody can go and get him out. So they have a rope around him so that they can pull him out. Crazy, right? God's serious about this holiness thing. So that was kind of the system. That's before Jesus. Go to Hebrews chapter 7. I'm excited to get here. Hebrews chapter 7. Look at verse 26. So the high priest has been doing this year after year going into this most holy place and he's offering these sins on behalf of the people and on behalf of himself. And it's dangerous stuff going into the, into the holy of holies. Hebrews chapter 7 verse 26. Now we're talking about Jesus himself. Such a high priest truly meets our need. One who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. And like the other high priest, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day. First for his own sins, then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. For the law appoints his high priest men in all their weakness. But the oath which came after the law appointed the Son who has been made perfect forever. So here's the cool thing. In the New Testament, we still have high priest. We got one forever high priest now. though Jesus Christ becomes... <laughs> the high priest. When Jesus was on the cross, we know that as he died, that the veil was torn from top to bottom, and that basically that veil that tore, that was the separation between everybody and the Holy of Holies. So just think about that for a second. This place has been barricaded off forever, and they tie a rope around the high priest when he goes in there because they're afraid he's going to die and they can pull him out. Now all of a sudden, this thing is ripped in half from top to the bottom. If you're a bystander and you're seeing this happen... Can you imagine how scared you are? God's out. God's God's on the loose because they were so scared. Holiness should scare us a little bit. The holiness of the holy of holies. But here's what happened. When that veil was torn from the top to the bottom, something new was happening. A new high priest was being set up because the high priest was dying on the cross. The once and for all high priest as the Bible just said there, who is holy, who's blameless, who's pure, who's set apart from sinners, he's exalted above the heavens. New system in place. New high priest. Jesus is our high priest today. That's great news for us. He atones for our sins. It's not just a once a year, it's forever and ever and ever. It's done. He's perfect. He's holy in every way, and only He is the only one ever that can be in this position. He, once again, He's the only one that was God and He was man. He was both of the. He was humanity and He was holy at the same time. Both of those things grasped into each other. And when we grasp this, when we grasp that Jesus was both of those things, including the holiness, it should shake us to our core. It should affect us, and it should affect everything about us. Simply said. I don't think that we can be completely and totally saved and live the Christian life that we're going to live until we recognize the holiness of Jesus. And it reveals to us that we're not holy like He is holy. That we have to have what He has. It should kind of scare us just a little bit. We have to see that first. You can't be saved until you know you're lost. You can't be helped until you know that you need helping. We can't go around looking at the world and saying, "Well, we're doing pretty good." You know, we're going to church and we're not cussing, and you know, we don't cheat on our taxes, and we, do, you know, we're doing pretty good stuff. I hate that bad stuff that those people out there hate. That's not our measuring stick. We got to know. We can only live the holy life we were commanded to live when we have a proper view of the holiness of Jesus Christ. Jesus is holy. We have no hope of holiness without seeing Him. And this proper view of him exposes who we truly are. Today we've talked about Peter being terrified. Get away from me, Jesus. We talked about these disciples on the boat who didn't high-five each other. These, these disciples, were, they were terrified. Who is this guy? He looks like us. He talks like us, but he's different than us. He says to the waves and the wind to be still. And who is this? He commands them. Who is this guy? Why is he different? Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. By the way, I love the book of Hebrews. I love the book of Hebrews. It's the, it's, Hebrews, by the way, if you want to read it, it's the bridge between the Old Testament and the New Testament. It kind of brings all this Old Testament stuff like sacrificial system and high priest and all this stuff and ties it into the New Testament. It's great. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. I'll stop right there. When I was a kid, that verse scared me to death. <laughs> you know what? Over time, I kind of sanitized it a little bit. And, and I kind of made it like, no, no, no. no. Let's, let's, it's a respect for God kind of thing. But you know what? It should scare us a little bit. Like, nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. So, what does he see? Everything. And yeah, this is plain English right here. Everything is uncovered laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Before I go on, can I just say that, that that's scary a little bit, but here's the here's here's the good part of that. God sees every bit of it and still loves us. That's cool. When Jesus was on the cross, he saw every sin of every human being that's ever lived. Your most wicked thought you've ever had, it's not hidden. And that's why Jesus died. He died on that cross for that. The most wicked thing you've ever done, Jesus knew about it when he died on that cross. And he still died on that cross for you. Romans 5.8 says, even while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. If I ever write the Kevin International Version, it's going to be saying something like this. Even while we were spitting in the face of God, Jesus died for us. Even when I was mocking him and, and, and going and doing my own thing, Jesus died for us. So I read this verse, and it should scare me a little bit because it, it's a recognition of the holiness of God, the holiness of Jesus Christ. Nothing is hidden. Everything is out there. i got to give account of this one day. But at the same time, he still died for me. Y'all see the both sides of that? Verse 14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. We do not have a high priest. I love this. We do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence. So that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So, we need to have this healthy fear, terrified of the holiness of Jesus. But at the same time, after we see this, and it reveals to us that we have this strong need for for His holiness because only He can give us His holiness. After we get to that healthy place, then it says we can then look and see that this high priest is going for us. Jesus is our high priest. And he's able to empathize. I love that. He's able to empathize because he was tempted in every single way, just like us. But he didn't sin. But he does understand the strength of temptation. And then, let us go to God's throne of grace with confidence. With confidence. Y'all know what confidence is, right? Being sure of something. Totally sure of something. When I was in high school, um, prom. Went to prom with this girl, and, uh, which... I know you're surprised, but yeah, I, I actually had a prom date. It was something I did. Um, but here's the thing, when I asked this girl to the prom, before I asked her, uh, a couple of her crony friends, you know, the, the girl gang kind of thing, you know, they, they kind of came to me ahead of this and said, you know, if you were to ask her to go to the prom, she would probably say yes. So I already knew the answer before I asked the question. So here's what happens. When I ask the question, Yo, what's up? You know, I had confidence because I already knew what she was gonna say. That's a lot different than not knowing the answer. So that's a weird kind of goofy illustration, but here can I tell you this? When we approach the throne of grace, when we approach God's throne, we already know the answer. He is there, he's able to empathize with us in our weakness. We already have the answer to this. We can approach the throne of grace with confidence because we already know the answer. Y'all with me? That's incredible. That is incredible. Even despite being terrified, even despite seeing this holiness, even despite this otherness, we can still approach the throne of grace. Even though everything is laid bare, we can go before him with confidence because he's there to, to help us in our time of need and to offer his grace and his forgiveness and his mercy to us. That's incredible. That's incredible. God knows every single thought, action, motive we've ever had. And it should scare us and it should comfort us at the same time. So Peter, Peter says, get away from me. Peter says, this guy looks like me, he talks like me, but this guy's different than me. This same Peter, that's what he does there. But this same Peter later, when he receives the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, we know that he preached one of the greatest sermons that's ever been preached. 3,000 people that day came to a belief And and asked for for God to come into their lives. Came to a belief in Jesus Christ. And that's 3,000 men. We don't know how many women and children on top of that. So 3,000 people led by the sermon that Peter gave. So this same Peter that that over here says, get away from me. Over here says, let me tell you about Jesus. It's pretty cool. Jesus looks at Peter and says, Peter, you're my rock. And upon you, I'm going to build my church. Same Peter that over here said, get away from me. Same Jesus that scared him over here says, you're the man. Upon you, I'm going to build my church. So it doesn't end with being scared, but I think it should be a healthy starting point for us, church. There's holiness and there's humanity. We emphasize the humanity so often, but the holiness is there. And I don't believe that we can truly understand who we truly are until we understand the holiness of Jesus Christ Himself. We can only live the holy life we were commanded to live when we have a proper view of the holiness of Jesus Himself. It reveals our need for Him. A passage we've referenced a few times over the past few weeks is Isaiah chapter 6. And Isaiah sees this throne room of God, and he sees... The holy, holy, holy are you, Lord God Almighty. He sees this going on continually. And and Isaiah, it's the same thing. Isaiah, when he sees this holiness of God, what does Isaiah say? He says, oh, I'm a woe. Woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. By the way, this woe, this word woe, we, we interpret that word woe kind of in our own English thing. Like, oh, my goodness. You know, that's the way we interpret the word woe. Oh, my goodness, this is not good. Woe is a strong condemnation used throughout the Bible. Jesus said, "Woe to you, hypocrites! Woe to you, Pharisees! Woe!" It's the same word. It's a strong word of con- of a condemnation. It's kind of the opposite, by the way, of Mazeltov. So it's it, it's it's the it is a it's still around. It's a oyve. If you've heard Jewish Yiddish talk, it's a strong condemnation word. Isaiah says, "Woe is me! I'm condemning myself." Woe is me when he sees the holiness of God. But we know the rest of that story is, he says, I'm a man of unclean lips. I am, I am, I'm, I'm not worthy. But then we know that, 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 that the coal touches him and he's commissioned. God says, who, who will go? And he says, here I, here I am, send me. Something incredible happens in that process. When we see the holiness of God and we say, Woe is me, I'm condemned, I'm a man of unclean lips. When we say like Peter said, "I get away from me. When we say like these disciples that said, I'm terrified. We're terrified. We're exceedingly terrified. We're scared. We're scared out of our ever-living minds. And then something happens after that where God says, Who will go? And we say, Lord, send me. The cold touches our lips and we're cleansed. From the point from Peter, he goes from there to the point where you're, you're my rock, and I'm point you, I'm going to build my church. Church, it's a growth process. Once again, my point today is all of these verses that we memorize and all the things we talk about Jesus being a human being, it's absolutely true, and Jesus is my homeboy and Jesus is my buddy, all that stuff, not necessarily bad, because Jesus does relate to us in every way, but it's the starting point. Can we truly get to the place that God wants us to get unless we understand completely and totally the holiness of God? Of Jesus Himself, I ask you today. By the way, this was hard for me. This was a hard message to prepare. I did, almost didn't want to do it, because. But but now I'm glad I did it because I just rocked my own world this past week, and now I'm getting to tell, share this with you. Here's the thing: you want to be a rock that Jesus can use, that God can use, and do something with you. You want you want that stuff. You want to be used by God? You want to lead 3,000 people to to, to Christ in one day? Great. See the holiness. See the holiness. Respect the holiness. Don't compare ourselves to the world. Compare ourselves to the standard that God gives us in His Word. Compare us to the standard of Himself. That That is our measuring sticks. We can only live the holy life we were commanded to live when we have a proper view of the holiness of Jesus Christ. Let's pray.